WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, September 12th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Mix of sun and clouds today, high 82. Tonight, overnight clouds could see a shower, low 70, and then Wednesday, thunderstorms, high 74. If you're walking out the door with us right now, 70 clear in Orangeburg up in Rockland County, 67 and partly cloudy in Highland Park down in New Jersey. And it is 68 and foggy here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning. Oh, to be a New York Jets fan. (laughs) Oh, my God. Did you watch that game last night? I mean, just, well, let's talk about before the game. You know, people were just so pumped that Aaron Rodgers was going to be the Jets quarterback for the season. Take us to the promised land. Aaron Rodgers is uh, exactly what this team needed. I think we have, hands down, the best defense in the league. Cautiously optimistic this year. It seems like they have a lot of great young talent. Yeah, so the uh, Jets, of course, acquired the future Hall of Famer from the Green Bay Packers during the offseason. The acquisition, of course, got Jet fans so excited that this was going to be their year. I'm pumped up, kick the season off. Super Bowl or bust as far as I'm concerned. A lot of hype surrounding Aaron Rodgers as well as a couple of new picks on the team. Super excited just to kind of see what happens. Now, even if you're not the biggest sports fan, Aaron Rodgers runs out there onto the field Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills, and the place just erupts. I mean, it sounded as loud as it did when Taylor Swift was at MetLife Stadium over the summer. It might have been louder when he came out running out onto the field with a flag. Then he came out later onto the field. Pans just fans pumped that this is going to be the year the Jets go to the Super Bowl. But if you didn't watch the game, or if you're not the biggest sports fan, still a great story to follow. He's in for the first series of plays. He gets sacked and carried essentially off the field and may be gone for the season. It sure looks that way. So uh, here was the Jets head coach, Robert Sala, uh, giving an update on Aaron Rodgers' injury after the game. I should point out, it was an exciting game afterwards. Uh, they went on to win this thing uh, with a run back, a punt run back for a touchdown. And uh, it was you know, they won. They beat the Buffalo Bills. So that was the good part. But here was the Jets head coach, Robert Sala, giving an update on Aaron Rodgers' injury after the game. You know, they just got a lot of talent. Um, their D-line's great. Um, you know, anytime you can affect the quarterback, um, we mix it easy on your secondary, too. But they got talent back there as well. So... Um, thankfully, we get to see him at least once. Yes, so uh, Zach Wilson, of course, he was the backup quarterback, came in, and uh, he didn't have a great uh, day. It was more the defense that saved them, but they won the game, and here was the head coach on Zach Wilson, who might be their quarterback for the rest of the season. Uh, concerned with his Achilles. Uh, MRI is probably going to confirm what we think is already going to happen, so prayers tonight, but it's not good. So there's this one great sideline story besides Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's going to be tragic if he doesn't come back. But the uh, Jets punter who ran back this game-winning touchdown last night, Xavier Gibson, he had been the star of this HBO show Hard Knocks where they follow the team during the preseason and during the season as well. 
and he was one of those players that easily could have been cut for the season. So you kind of got to watch him back and forth with the coaches, whether they were going to keep him or not. And uh, they kept him. And uh, thank God they did because he ran back that one winning touchdown last night on a punt return. Uh, he had a couple of big third down uh, throws, clutch throws to, to extend drives and uh, score points. Thought his um, command of the huddle, <clears throat> line of scrimmage. No, he's talking about Zach he was Wilson. Pretty, he was all, uh, created off schedule. Yeah, but anyway, he ran that thing back last night. So now we have to wait and see what the injury report is. I guess he's going to have an MRI, uh, some some x-rays done, and we'll find out what the latest scoop was with Aaron Rodgers. But boy, Jet fans, they cannot win, can they? <laughs> Just when you thought this was the year, it could still be. The team around him was pretty fantastic, but... Uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course, the centerpiece of all that. Of course, we'll follow it right here, 77 WABC. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. The New Jersey man who was stuck in a Turkish cave, he's out. Cops try to catch up with a crew of kid robbers. You may hate Alvin Bragg a little more when you hear what he did to Curtis Sliwa. More people come forward to say a Long Island restaurant made them sick. And as we just said, oh, to be a Jets fan, the highs and last night, the big time lows. All right, let's get into it at 5.05. Let's start with Hurricane Lee. This is this hurricane that is forming down, uh, well, at this point, pretty far away from us. But there is some thought it could come up the East Coast. Hurricane Lee in the Atlantic continues to move northwest towards the East Coast. But will we be spared here in the Northeast? Forecasters say it's still unclear at this time. However, the storm is expected to be between Bermuda and North Carolina by Friday, which would kick up the surf at beaches along the Jersey Shore and Long Island. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. Watching the trail of that early this morning it looks like it'll veer off and not hit us but it's not certain yet of course we'll follow that were you listening to uh cats and cosby last night as you should every day five o'clock right here 77 wabc mayor adams stopping by uh, a great interview you want to go to wabcradio.com to hear the whole thing but here he was talking about the spending on the migrants which of course has become a huge story as more than 110,000 migrants from the u.s southern border have made it here to new york over the last year i'm not going to be untruthful to new yorkers uh, we are dealing with a major crisis when you talk about five billion dollars this fiscal year when we do our november plan that's five billion dollars that's the combination of when you look at what we're going to be spending. It is the uh, fire department, Department of Sanitation, and Parks Department combined. Combined, that money has to come from somewhere, and taxpayers have really shouldered the burden of this for over a year without any real substantial help. I take my hat up to the governor and. Uh, Speaker Hasty and Majority Leader Cousin uh, for the billion dollars they had allocated in the last budget. Uh, but we need help. You know, Washington gave us 104 million, around 104 million of out of a five billion dollar price tag. That's just not enough. 
That was the mayor last night on Cats and Cosby. You can hear the entire interview. Go to surf on over to WABCRadio.com. It's right there. The um, the big story out of this, of course, is the budget cuts that are coming. And potentially 5%. Every agency across the city is going to be asked to cut 5%. The mayor says not going to be layoffs, but there'll be 5% cuts. So now these agencies are being told to search for those cuts that could come November unless the feds come to the rescue with money, which is sure doesn't look like it's going to happen. WABC News Time 511. Let's go out to Turkey. The American caver trapped underground in Turkey, hoisted to safety. Mark Dickey, the 40-year-old, had been trapped underground since August 31st. He had fallen ill. I mean, it was really bad. He was throwing up blood. Three, four thousand, uh, thirty-four hundred feet below the surface, Dickey was extracted from the cave. This was about twelve thirty-seven a.m. local time Tuesday. The Turkish Caving Federation announced uh, that the operation had been successful. There was a bunch of reporters on the scene who were doing play-by-play as they saw him pulled out of the cave. You can see. Mr. Dickey there with that thermal blanket wrapped around him. This was a delicate uh, operation, a delicate mission, one that took a lot of manpower and uh, a lot of planning. Kind of an amazing story. They had rescuers from all over the world who helped plot out this rescue of Dickey, who could not walk out on his own, needed to be taken out on a stretcher. But uh, the passageways were so narrow, they had to figure out how to get him through that. They plotted this thing out. They thought it might take a week to bring him to the surface, but essentially they did it in just a couple of days. When he did get to the surface uh, and saw the TV cameras, he was smiling. So that's a good sign. So hopefully he is okay. But boy, kudos to those teams who got the medical supplies to him and who were also able to take him out of that cave in such a short period of time. 512, the Biden administration taking steps now to carry out a prisoner exchange with Iran to free five Americans being held there. It has issued a waiver for foreign banks to transfer $6 billion in Iranian oil funds that have been held up by U.S. sanctions. All five Americans were transferred from prison to house arrest in Tehran while the agreement between the U.S. and Iran was finalized. They've all been deemed wrongfully detained by the State Department. In exchange, the administration will release five Iranian citizens detained in the U.S. I'm Mark Mayfield. 513, let's stay overseas. The death toll from the earthquake in Morocco has now risen to 2,500 as rescuers continue to dig for survivors, some with their bare hands. A lot of donations flooding in from the residents here. Food, water for the families. Now, the situation in the Atlas Mountains is a lot more complicated. We heard that 300,000 people were affected, according to the U.N., that's Alex Cady, a reporter who is on the scene there. The remote mountainous area where the quake hit is making it hard for heavy machinery to works, uh, to reach the worst hit villages. Many roads in those mountains remain impassable at this hour. We've seen people uh, driving with their cars absolutely full of donations, food, water, supplies. We've seen some hotels opening up their uh, doors for those people who have been displaced. Yeah, we've seen a lot of fundraisers right here in New York for Morocco. Uh, people giving blood as well. People have been here since 6 a.m. waiting to donate their blood, queuing uh, about a thousand feet around the block, waiting to donate and help in any way that they can. 
camps have also been set up further up in the mountains by the Moroccan military for those who have lost their homes. Field hospital here in Morocco as well. But still a lot more to be done to save as many lives as possible. Of course, the big issue is this golden window, essentially, that is slowly closing of finding people who are still alive. That earthquake, of course, was Friday night our time into Saturday. So here we are on Tuesday. And, of course, the thought is how long could someone survive under the rubble? We get these miraculous stories once in a while, but unfortunately they say the death toll will likely rise. Raf uh, Sanchez, another reporter on the scene. The rescue teams here on the ground, both Moroccan and international, say they will continue for as long as it takes to try to find survivors. We have seen both professional rescue teams from Turkey, from Italy, but also a lot of local people who just hand by patient hands have been picking through the rubble. The road that leads up here is winding and treacherous. In some places, this road is blocked by boulders, and that makes it very difficult. Yeah, and, and they're still trying to move that rescue equipment into that mountainous area as of late last night. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Good morning, Justin Ellen. Good morning, Noah Mullet. And what a stunner it was last night at MetLife Stadium with the Jets. Stunning the division rival Buffalo Bills. I scored 22-16 to in overtime after the ultra-bleak start they had to endure and losing Aaron Rodgers on the first drive of the game to an apparent Achilles tendon injury following... Rodgers' exit, the Jets' defense showed they're good enough to carry this team themselves, forcing four Buffalo turnovers, including three Josh Allen picks, all of which were corralled by safety Jordan Whitehead. Nonetheless, without Rodgers and a lack of offensive production, this one was still knotted at 16 at the end of regulation. Enter rookie Xavier Gibson, who blew the top off MetLife when he returned to punt 65 yards for the game-winning touchdown. Here's what that sounded like, courtesy of ESPN. Sam Martin corrals the snap. It's a short punt. Gibson on the return. Near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets. And he's going to go. Jets win it. Touchdown. Rookie Xavier Gibson. Game over. That's the most excited I've heard Joe Buck in a very long time. Regarding Rodgers, the Jets, they fear the worst, but we'll get confirmation on the star quarterback's Achilles tendon later on today. when he Not completes. good. Not good. It's not good indeed. They fear it could be a season-ending Achilles tear there. So he'll get a bye number bye. out. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah, bye-bye. It might be. We'll find out later on today after that MRI. On the diamond, the Mets fall 4-3. to three. The Diamondbacks at home in the first of four with Arizona up late in this one. Former Matt Tommy Pham hit a tying home run in the eighth inning to finish a triple short of the cycle at his return to City Field before Kettle Marte secured the, area, uh, the Arizona win with a go-ahead double in the ninth. New York will see if they can bounce back tonight in Game 2 with the D-back set for a 7-10 p.m. first pitch. Jose Budo will get the start for the Mets there. As for the Yankees, they got rained out last night in Boston. So they'll, uh, they'll indulge in a day-night doubleheader set to begin this afternoon at 1.35 p.m. Randy Vasquez We'll get the ball in game one before Carlos Rodon takes the hill for tonight's game two. That's Sports Note on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. WABC News Time 519. A lot of people asking themselves this question. Do I have COVID? Do I have the flu? Do I have RSV? Do I have a cold? It's kind of hard to tell, and you probably know some people who are sick trying to figure it out, what's causing these respiratory infections that seem to be going around. Dr. Dean Blumberg says there are some things that stand out if you're trying to figure out what you have. When you get influenza, you can actually say, I was feeling fine until 
3 o'clock two days ago, and then all of a sudden I felt sick. So a typical cold has more of a gradual onset. I mean, a lot of people aren't even testing themselves anymore for COVID because they're like, okay, I have it, I don't. Uh, obviously, one of the signs of COVID is the loss of taste and smell. We do have loss of taste and smell, which occurs more often with COVID than with the other viral infections. So the important part here is if you do get really sick, you know, there are those antiviral therapies out there. You should probably use them. Paxlovid, and this does significantly reduce the uh, number of days that people are symptomatic, as well as significantly reduce the risk of severe disease, including hospitalization and death. Yeah. So uh, meanwhile, the FDA approving updated COVID boosters from Pfizer and Moderna. The updated shots target Omicron subvariants circulating throughout the U.S., a CDC advisory committee will meet this week to review the safety and efficacy of the shots and vote on recommendations for who should get the booster. This comes as there's been a recent uptick in COVID-19 cases. I'm Lisa Taylor. 520 police in Pennsylvania now just expanding the search for the escaped killer, Danello Cavacante, who has eluded them for nearly two weeks now. We have moved from a containment model to one which involves utilizing a variety of investigative resources and which has proven successful for us in the past. So many potential sightings, confirmed sightings of uh, Cavalcante, maybe getting some help from his sister. Home security footage shows Cavalcante on the porch of a home, but no one inside. He eventually left. He also stole a van from a dairy farm over the weekend, ditched it when it ran out of gas. Cavalcante on the run after he escaped the Chester County prison about 25 miles uh, west of Philadelphia. He was there for savagely murdering his girlfriend. This- sister is an overstay, and because of being in an overstay status, she has uh, been entered into a deportation proceeding. Yeah, they are from Brazil, so she's being sent back home. Um, there are thoughts that Calvacanti is being helped, potentially, by some friends. Maybe he's even visited some of them. They really just don't know. Uh, they're, like I said, there's confirmed sightings of them, and a lot of people say they thought they saw them. If we detect assistance... That will be prosecuted. Yes, yeah, so if their friends are helping Cavacanti, they could be in a host of trouble. 522, reports say North Korean leader Kim Jong-un traveling to Russia to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Not only has he failed to achieve his goals on the battlefield, but you see him traveling across his own country hat in hand, to beg Kim Jong-un for military assistance. State Department spokesman Matthew Miller is there, says in a move, an indication Putin's having trouble sustaining his invasion of Ukraine. He says any transfer of arms from North Korea to Russia would violate a whole host of United Nations Security Council resolutions. He is having trouble sustaining the military effort, and so is looking for help from North Korea. And the USA, they're watching very closely to see what this visit uh, ends when. Any uh, transfer of arms from North Korea to Russia would be in violation of multiple United Nations Security Council resolutions. While we're overseas, Japan's prime minister claiming that more nations are on board with the decision to discharge contaminated treated nuclear wastewater into the Pacific Ocean in Tokyo. Chris Gilbert says Japan now renewing calls for China to lift a blanket ban on Japanese seafood implemented last month in opposition to the discharge of that contaminated water. Before the G20 summit, it already had the support of South Korea and the U.S. Now the Netherlands, Australia and Turkey all say they recognize the Japanese government's efforts are sincere and responsible. Kichida is now renewing calls for Beijing to lift its ban on Japanese seafood, but China remains opposed. 
Media reports there describing Keisha to G20 efforts as hook-and-crook lobbying to whitewash the issue and place the blame on China. Chris Gilbert, Tokyo. Congress getting back to work this week on a new government spending bill. Republicans warning that the budget battle could lead to a potential shutdown. We've got to stop the spending that has created this cost of living crisis for working Americans. That's Texas Congressman Jody Arrington, who heads the budget committee. The last government shutdown left 800,000 workers without a paycheck for over a month. And of course, nobody wants to go back there. We prioritize the people's government on the people's needs and interests. 524, a new poll suggested that over half of Americans believe AI, artificial intelligence, will have some impact on the outcome of the 2024 White House race. The Axios Morning Consult poll found 53% of respondents said misinformation spread by AI will impact who wins. 35% said AI will decrease their trust in election advertising. Of that group, 42% voted for Donald Trump in 2020 and 33% for President Biden. This comes as generative AI tools have become more popular and widely available. I'm Mark Mayfield. 524 in a controversial move, President Biden marking the 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks yesterday at a memorial in Alaska. I join you on this solemn day to renew our sacred vow. Never forget. Lots of people upset that he didn't do this memorial stateside at either in Washington, Pennsylvania or here down in lower Manhattan. He made the remarks while returning home from the G20 summit in India and a visit to Vietnam. It looks so devastating because the way you could away from where you could stand. He's talking about visiting uh, New York City after the 9-11 attacks. American hands went up ready to help where they could, ready to serve like so many of you here. And, of course, it was another somber day downtown with the families, the 9-11 families visiting the memorial. Uh, Jackie, she's uh, lost her uncle in the World Trade Center, and she now lives in Jacksonville, Florida. But she says every single year she flies in for the commemorations downtown because she says it's a way to honor her uncle. He actually died on the 78th floor, letting a lot of people go in front of him, making jokes. His co-workers had to leave him after a marble slab crushed his leg. Yeah, she says there's a whole lot of comfort in being around others who lost so much on that day. It feels like yesterday, and it feels like a lifetime ago, and it's just so heartbreaking. All these years later, it feels like it just happened. Yeah, it really does. And and those commemorations uh, in the city are followed by smaller local ones of all across the tri-state in Jersey City. Former Hudson County Executive Jersey City Fire uh, firefighter Craig Guy says he remembers helping people come off the ferries when they were escaping the attacks into Jersey City on that day. One after another. I see my brothers and sisters of the fire department and the police department here. Many of these men and women were here that day, are here today, to pay tribute to the families. In Westchester County yesterday, they added dozens of names to the 9-11 memorial at the Kensico Dam. The co-chair of the Westchester County's 9-11 First Responder Memorial Committee and retired NYPD officer Matthew McCauley vows that this will never be forgotten. We will continue to honor these people. We will continue to expand this memorial as it goes on because as we continue forward, more people have passed away from 9-11 related illnesses than passed away that day. Nearly 500 Long Island residents died in the 9-11 attack. And one early morning ceremony and point outlook aims to keep their memories alive. Here's the Hempstead Town Supervisor, Don Clavin. The lives are stolen from us on that day, and they continue to be stolen from us every single day from the ill effects of that disease. Radio 
It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noam Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noam on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Tuesday, September 12th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today should be nicer than it has been. High 82. Tonight, overnight Clouds could see a shower, low 70, and then Wednesday, thunderstorms high 74. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 70 and clear in Orangeburg up in Rockland County, 67 partly cloudy in Highland Park down in New Jersey, and it is 68 and foggy here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour right here in Manhattan. The NYPD says a real-life version of Oliver Twist is playing out across Manhattan. Little kids, some as young as 8-year-olds, are robbing people at restaurants. Uh, these new faces of crime in New York City uh, are hard to find. Uh, restaurant owners, uh, one guy who owns the Amsterdam Ale House, that's on the Upper West Side, said these 8-year-olds, have, maybe 9-year-olds, have stolen from his restaurant. They will literally get caught robbing a place by one of us and they'll be back the next day they just don't care yeah, he's talking to CBS there. Surveillance video shows a boy police believe to be eight or nine years old casually walking also into the Lexington Public Bar on the Upper East Side. He's seen strolling past two men heading down into the basement where the owners say he stole $700 from an open safe. Now, of course, lots of questions. How did he know the safe was there? How did, who's directing him? We don't know all the answers just eight, yet. Eight, nine, ten-year-olds. And... Literally, there's nothing that, you know, it's like you can't grab the kid. You can't, you know, what are, as an adult, what are you going to do? So apparently some of this starts, and no doubt you've run into this before if you've taken the subway or walked the sidewalks of New York City where kids come up to you with a box of candy and tell you they're trying to sell it to you to raise money for a little league or basketball team. That's how this one started, but then it's become so much bigger. Once inside the restaurant, these eight and nine-year-olds grab people's purses, wallets that are sitting out, phones, cash from safes. And so far, the NYPD can't figure out who they are, who's directing them, and have not caught up with them. They come around with their little sheet saying, donate to my basketball team aggressively. Like, the, oh, this is for my school basketball team. Give me money. And it's a crime of opportunity. So then they'll come in, they'll start stealing wallets or handbags or whatever they can. It looks like they're with a spotter adult outside. It's not like the kids are doing this on their own. So there is clear video of the kids, but so far no real clear video of these adults who might be directing them. Of course, you'd want to know who the hell would be doing this. Um, wait staff say they've seen these kids. Sometimes they think they are connected to a family eating at the restaurant, but other times they say they kind of know who they are and they try to kick them out, but these kids aren't scared because they're not worried about being arrested. In fact, they've even told wait staff and the owner of these restaurants where they've been on these essentially shopping sprees of stealing wallets and purses and cash that uh, try and come catch me. You won't. They can't see over the bar. You can barely even see them. And I said, listen, I'm going to call the police. And he said, it doesn't matter if you call the police. I'm a kid. They can't do anything. They should be in school or in after-school programs or home with their parents or 
playing with kids and doing normal kid stuff. Yeah, well, hopefully that will go back to that at some point when police catch up with them. Police say because of their age, even if the boys are caught, they probably won't be charged, even as juveniles. I mean, they're only eight, nine years old. They're going at the direction, clearly, of their parents. Of course, any adults who are caught helping them carry out these robberies would be charged with a slew of charges, including child endangerment. So, so far, we spoke with some people who say they were had money stolen from them at one of these places on the Upper West Side. And they did say they walked outside of the bar and they seem to think that they saw an adult maybe who's connected to these crimes. Uh, nobody has a, a picture of them so far. Uh, but when they do, it'll probably be easier to catch up with the kids because these are just kids and they can't really figure out who they are. The NYPD says they're all over it and they're waiting for them to strike again. Of course, now the story's out there. Well, we don't know if the adults have seen the stories being published uh, online here on the radio, uh, in the newspaper. But uh, they may be pulling back for a little while before they strike again. But just crazy. This has been happening all summer long here in Manhattan. WABC News Time 538. Migrants at a Staten Island shelter being bombarded by a blaring 24-7 recording urging them to leave where they are staying. This is at the St. John Villa Academy that's been turned into a migrant shelter. It was a closed Catholic school. About 2% of all the migrants that have made it to New York City, all 110,000 of them have actually been sent to Staten Island. Of course, there's been a lot of pushback on Staten Island from the migrants living there or for against the migrants living there. And so there is a homeowner who lives real close to the St. John Villa Academy where it's been turned into the shelter. His name is Scott Herkert. And he came up with this idea to keep the migrants away by blaring an announcement in English, Spanish, Ukrainian, Chinese, and Urdu at ear-splitting levels that warns these uh, migrants that this is the worst possible shelter you could go to, that you should turn around and go back to New York City where you'll get a hotel room instead of staying at the school where you'll be sleeping on a cot next to people you do not know. Here's what the announcement sounds like as some migrants have walked up to this shelter. This shelter has 300 cots in one room. You will have no privacy. You will have no showers. You have a hotel room with privacy and a bathroom in New York City. Do not get off the bus. Tell them you want to go back to your hotel. Go back to New York City. Tell them you want your hotel room back. This shelter has rats and cockroaches. This building has mold and is unsafe for you. You are being lied to. This building is not safe for humans. The community wants you to go back to New York City. Immigrants are not safe here. Please help yourself. You're being lied to. Go back to New York City. Yeah, so it goes on and on. A migrant who arrived outside the shelter with her luggage on Sunday uh, heard this warning. Uh, then pulled out her phone to record the announcement, and then she could see be seen calling an Uber and then fled uh, from the St. John Villa Academy. Not clear where she went. More than a dozen migrants were seen leaving the site uh, after some protests happened there over the weekend as well. Uh, not clear if this is 24-7. I couldn't get confirmation that this announcement was blaring 24-7, but for sure during the day, people said they heard that, and there could be 
migrants who were showing up be seen uh, turning around and either getting back on the bus that had delivered the St. John Villa Academy or calling for a cab or an Uber to take them back to Manhattan uh, to try and get a hotel room. 541. Let's go out to Brooklyn. A shooting near a Brooklyn Home Depot left two people injured, broke out uh, during a fight over a parking spot. Police say a 26-year-old woman shot in the head, taken to the hospital in critical condition. She's a model. A 35-year-old man that she was with shot in the knees. So apparently this dispute started at the Home Depot on Nostrand Avenue and then ended at the corner of Myrtle Avenue where a white Honda was shot at. And that's where the woman who was a model was sitting. In. She's uh, fighting for her life today. Her neighbors say how crazy to be shot over a parking spot. Always a bright spirit, always, you know, had a smile on her face. So it really is sad. As of late last night, police have not caught up with the gunman. They're not exactly sure who they are. Just to think that just from a senseless parking spot that, you know, someone who had so much, you know, has so much to live for, could, you know, be in danger. Those disputes are never worth it. I can't even tell you how many of those stories that I get into the newsroom that we don't even broadcast of people getting into fights and being shot at or yelled at over a parking spot. Walk away. It's never, ever, ever, ever worth it. Just my warning. Curtis Lewa, if you are not an Alvin Bragg fan, uh, maybe you'll hate him a little more. I'm sort of kidding when I say that. Curtis Lewa won't face prosecution after all following his arrest at that raucous protest outside Gracie Mansion over migrant housing crisis. The Guardian Angel founder, dressed in his signature red beret and jacket, did not even have to appear before a judge yesterday, was instead handed a slip of paper from the Manhattan criminal court clerk saying prosecutors won't be moving forward with the case. You know, he held that big rally outside Gracie Mansion. Uh, Sliwa pretty excited, uh, holding up the document, showing that uh, he's not going to, nothing's going to happen to him. He can walk free. Uh, this was after he was released with a desk appearance ticket during that rally back on a, uh, August 28th. Uh, Sliwa was among five people who were arrested. Uh, there were some punches thrown. He wasn't one of them that was throwing them during this dueling group of protesters that classed outside the mayor's home on the Upper East Side. Uh, after learning the Manhattan DA's office was declining to prosecute his case, Sliwa, who's been an outspoken uh, critic of City Hall's handling of the migrant crisis, continued to take pot shots at the mayor. He didn't take one any at uh, Alvin Bragg, who has essentially set him free. Nothing's going to happen to him because of that protest outside Gracie Mansion. 544, storms last night quickly overwhelming the sewer system in several parts of Yonkers, causing some flash flooding. There was a driver who got stuck amid this flooding And uh, it looked like it was not going to end well. But thank God this guy came along who just happened to be there, took off his shoes, rolled up his pants and raced out and saved this driver. Took off my shoes, went in there, pulled them out. Went around the block looking for the people. The condition of the driver who was pulled from his car, unknown, but he was safe from the flooding. About a dozen cars were trapped 
on uh, Neperin Avenue between Cross Hill and Executive Boulevard. Apparently, this is one of these places that floods often when it rains, and neighbors there have asked for the city to come in and help with better drainage. And when it rains like it did yesterday, which was awfully hard, this kind of stuff happens. We see a car floating on the side of our street. We lost two cars. We lost basically everything that we own in our basement. It's, it's an ongoing issue. Yeah, so uh, we reached out to Yonker officials for a response on this. They have not heard back from them. 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Elliott. Thank you, Noam Olayden. Stunner last night at MetLife Stadium. The Jets surprising the rival Buffalo Bills by a score of 22-16. to Then over time, after the ultra-bleak start they had to endure in losing Aaron Rodgers on the first drive of the game to an apparent Achilles tendon injury following Rodgers' exit. The Jets' defense showed they're good enough to carry this team themselves, forcing four Buffalo turnovers, including three Josh Allen picks, all of which were corralled by safety Jordan Whitehead. Nonetheless, without Rodgers and a lack of offensive production, this one was still knotted at 16 at the end of regulation. Enter rookie Xavier Gibson, who blew the top off MetLife when he returned a punt 65 yards for the game-winning touchdown. Here's what that sounded like, courtesy of ESPN. Sam Martin corrals the snap. It's a short punt. Gibson on the return. Near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets. And he's going to go. Just win it. Touchdown. Rookie Xavier Gibson. Game over. Regarding Rodgers, the Jets, they fear the worst. But we'll get confirmation on the star quarterback's Achilles tendon later on today when he completes an MRI on the Diamond. The Mets fall 4-3 to the Diamondbacks at home in the first of four with Arizona up late. And this one, it was former Met Tommy Pham headed, who hit a game-tying home run in the eighth inning to finish a triple short of the cycle and his return to City Field before Kettle Marte secured the Arizona win with a go-ahead double in the ninth. New York will see if they can bounce back tonight in game two with the D-back set for 7-10 p.m. first pitch. Jose Budo will get the start for the Mets there. As for the Yankees, they got rained out last night in Boston, so they'll indulge in a day-night doubleheader, doubleheader, I should say, set to begin this afternoon at 1.35 p.m. Randy Vasquez will get the ball in game one before Carlos Rodon takes the hill for tonight's game two. There was sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Allen. Let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. All eyes on Hurricane Lee and whether it could hit us uh, sometime at the end of the week. Hurricane Lee in the Atlantic continues to move northwest towards the east coast, but will we be spared here in the northeast? Forecasters say it's still unclear at this time. However, the storm is expected to be between Bermuda and North Carolina by Friday, which would kick up the surf at beaches along the Jersey Shore and Long Island. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. Mayor Adams stopping by Katz and Cosby last night to talk about the migrant mess. And uh, there's lots of talk of how much it's going to cost New York City billions of dollars. And now we are starting to see how it's going to play out in terms of cuts here in the city. Here was the mayor on with Katz and Cosby last night. I'm not going to be untruthful to New Yorkers. Uh, we are dealing with a major crisis. When you talk about $5 billion this fiscal year, when we do our November plan, that's $5 billion. That's the combination of when you look at what we're going to be spending. It is the uh, fire department, Department of Sanitation, and Parks Department combined. Combined. That money has to come from somewhere. And taxpayers have really 
shouldered the burden of this. And we, apparently we will continue to. The mayor saying that the first cuts uh, could come as early as November. He's told city agencies to find places to cut some 5%. He says it will not include layoffs. Uh, and then there's talk of another cut early in 2024 that could be 10%. Now, he says this would all go away if the feds and the state government uh, pitched in big time to help pay for the migrants. There's no sign they're going to do that. You can hear that entire interview, and it was a good one, by surfing over to WABCRadio.com. And, of course, you can hear Katz and Cosby. Uh, they're the other 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon right here on 77 WABC. 551, the American caver trapped underground in Turkey has been hoisted to safety. 40-year-old Mark Dickey had been trapped underground since August 31st. He fell is ill was spitting up blood. He was 3,400 feet below the surface. But boy, the world sort of came together to help rescue him. Cave experts from uh, Europe, from America, from the Middle East showing up in Turkey. And at about 12.37 a.m., local time Turkey, there he was pulled up from the cave in a stretcher. Uh, He smiled at the cameras that were there. This reporter on the scene. You can see... Mr. Dickey there with that thermal blanket wrapped around him. This was a delicate uh, operation, a delicate mission, one that took a lot of manpower and uh, a lot of planning. It was an amazing mission to plot and then carry out. They thought it might take a week to bring him through those small crevices on the stretcher, but they were able to get him out in just a matter of days. He's in the hospital recovering, and then at some point, I guess, he'll come back to New Jersey. The Biden administration taking steps now to carry out a prisoner exchange with Iran to free five Americans that are being held there. It has issued a waiver for foreign banks to transfer $6 billion in Iranian oil funds that have been held up by U.S. sanctions. All five Americans were transferred from prison to house arrest in Tehran while the agreement between the U.S. and Iran was finalized. They've all been deemed wrongfully detained by the State Department. In exchange, the administration will release five Iranian citizens detained in the U.S. I'm Mark Mayfield. Let's go out to Morocco. The death toll there from the earthquake on Friday now has risen to 2,500 as rescuers continue to dig for survivors, some with their bare hands. A lot of donations flooding in from the residents here, food, water for the families. Now, the situation in the Atlas Mountains is a lot more complicated. We heard that 300,000 people were affected, according to the UN. That's reporter Alex Cartier. They say it's hard to get the heavy machinery into these worst-hit villages because roads are blocked. We've seen people uh, driving with their cars absolutely full of donations, food, water, supplies. We've seen some hotels opening up their uh, doors for those people who have been displaced. Long lines in Marrakesh of people wanting to give blood just to try to do something to help the people who are injured. People have been here since 6 a.m. waiting to donate their blood, queuing uh, about a 1,000 feet around the block, waiting to donate and to help in any way that they can. Camps have also been set up further up in the mountains by the Moroccan military for those who have lost their homes. Field hospital here in Morocco as well. But still a lot more to be done to save as many lives as possible. And that window of finding survivors, of course, close uh, is slowly closing. It was uh, Friday night. Our time overnight that the earthquake hit, and here we are at Tuesday. But they continue to look for survivors amid that rubble. Bring it back home. Remember these folks who were kicked out of their apartment building when it was condemned in Plainfield, New Jersey. They're still out of that building as they make repairs. Some have found new places to live. Others are still 
in shelters that have been provided by the town of Plainfield. Last night, they held a meeting to decide the fate of that building and what might happen. Uh, here were some people who had lived in this building who continue to look for another place to live. Unfortunately, a lot of people cannot afford to get a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment. Uh, the reason why a lot of people were staying in those apartments was because that was the only thing they could afford. So it was in August about uh, the tenants of 501 West 7th Street. They were ordered to vacate their homes after the building was deemed unlivable, riddled with maintenance issues. Tenants were forced to find last-minute housing. Uh, some still with friends and relatives. Uh, some have gotten temporary um, housing, apartments, or hotel. And then others have gotten more long-term, you know, like year leases. Last night, Plainfield officials were considering a resolution that would authorize the city's planning board to conduct a redevelopment study. If passed, the areas where the condemned buildings currently stand would be designated as a a condemned redevelopment area and the planning board could move forward with redeveloping the area and ultimately bringing the residents back into buildings that are a whole lot better than the ones they're in. And it's very unfortunate because a lot of people have lived here, you know, for over 30 years and, you know, you're just used to your lifestyle here. So, you know, it's hard. It's going to be a very hard transition if you were to move somewhere else. Yeah, whatever it is, it's a mess for all those people pushed out of their homes. Out on Long Island, a St. James woman says she and her family got sick from eating at the Kumo Japanese Steakhouse days before Saturday's incident where 26 people got sick eating at the restaurant. Melissa Anella telling News 12 that her family went to the restaurant to celebrate her daughter's birthday last Thursday. And she said they all ate the hibachi rice, which has gotten everybody sick. And uh, it was so bad, uh, you know, throwing up, that kind of thing. When I heard that a lot of people got sick on Saturday and I alerted them on Thursday, I felt like they should have looked into the matter a little further. So apparently the restaurant did not. The health commissioner did. And they were cited with a lot of tickets. Uh, but uh, 28 people got sick from eating there over the weekend. A bunch of them ended up in the hospital. And Melissa says if they had listened to her back on Thursday and gotten rid of whatever was making people sick, uh, those people would have been fine. Thursday, I called Kumo to let them know that we all were ill from the food. And they said that was the first they'd heard of it. And, um, and they offered me a gift card but I'm not going to eat there. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I don't think I would take up on that as well.